welcome back to This Is Our Design, Sound On Sight's Hannibal podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series currently on NBC and based on the characters created by Thomas Herrick, co-host of Kate Kolsik, TV editor at Sound On Sight, and writer at theavclub.com. I'm Sean Coletti, and we are live. No, what? Not actually live. I mean, like... Live to tape. Listeners, can you imagine if there was, like, in the future, there was some form of technology where it was live as you, like, clicked it somehow? That exists right now. Does it? Yes. What is it? <laughs> we could talk about this after we're done, but no, we, if you wanted, we could be live casting, we could be live video casting, and people could call in uh, on Skype. I mean, like, at any time, though. Like, days after the recording, somehow. They do. The, you're saying the comments would time travel? Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's different. I thought you meant, like, <laughs> is there a way to do a live podcast yeah. and have listeners respond? That, that, that technology is... I mean, we could you know. do, like, live answers on Twitter. But no, you can like do a live, yeah. like a Skype kind of. Thing. Oh no, yeah, I'm just thinking of right now. Right now, like yeah. Do you want to do you want to throw it out? You know what? Just do it right now as we're recording. Okay. Like, any <laughs> questions for this is our design, and we will answer them live on the podcast. But what? you're not gonna you're not gonna get the answers to these questions until uh, probably Monday. So <laughs> be aware of that. But uh, yeah, here we are in San Diego. This is not really my stomping ground. I live a few hours up north, but uh, this is Southern California, so I feel a little bit at home. How do you feel? How's Comic Con been? Comic Con, um, well, it it's been really it's been very interesting for me because great, I love Comic Con. This year is my first year cosplaying, and that has really shifted my experience in a way that I had some preparation for. Like you just kind of has have a sense of it after you've gone to Comic Con for a few years, um, but in other ways that I did not anticipate. I did not anticipate how that affects your time, like your travel time between right. spaces. I did not anticipate some other things. Um, I did not anticipate the massive sunburn I will have for the rest <laughs> of the con. It's been warm here. Yeah. Well, it, the first day was, the first couple days, not so much, but today, standing in the indigo line um, in direct sunlight for hour, at least an hour, probably an hour and a half, um, yeah, I didn't notice it. Cause there's, a, there's a breeze. It's a lovely breeze, so you don't feel it. And then, like, half a day later, you're like, wait a second, why am I on fire? <laughs> um, but, no, it, it's, it's, been, it's been a lovely con so far. I'm very excited as we record um, for the Hannibal panel. The Panable. Panable. Oh, savor the feast. Yeah. Uh, savor the hunt. Sorry, savor the hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow, as, again, as we record, by the time people are hearing this, probably, you know, I'm assuming you're not going to get You'll the have tonight. You'll all the information. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have all the intel, but... Um, but they, 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 they give good panel at uh, Comic-Con, the, the Hannibal Fellows do. How many and years late, have you been coming here? It's my fourth year. Fifth? Fourth? No, fourth year, because mm-hmm. it's my fourth year writing for Town on Sight. Um, and, yeah, it's the Hannibal panel was one of absolutely a highlight of last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year they did press room, so I got to talk to some of the cast and uh, and creatives, and that was really uh, very interesting as well. This year they're not doing that. So, unfortunately... Gentle listeners, there will be no additional interviews and, and such content at Sound of Sight this year from Comic Con, but um, but I'm anticipating being a, a really fun time. So it's it's been it's been great. And if by the time people are hearing this, it's too late. So you, you should have said come and said hi. But <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> why didn't you come say hello? Why didn't you come say hello? Yeah. Um, but uh, the, there's a lot of I'm anticipating a lot of um, a lot of feels mm-hmm. as a handful of Hannibal um, with the the news. And maybe this is an easy way to segue into our. Yeah. Somewhat disconcerting news. I don't think there's an easy way to segue into this. No, not really. So we talked a little bit last week uh, with uh, Emily and Dennis about the future of Hannibal uh, based on the announcement that uh, 
to Dancy and Matt Mickelson's contracts were up, and so that they're free to sign on to another TV series should they wish to do so. Uh, in the interim, we have found out that both Netflix and Amazon have passed on the series uh, for different reasons that are pretty justifiable, I would say. Um, Netflix can't take it because it would require too much money to buy the rights from Amazon, who have the streaming rights to the first couple seasons. And then Amazon, of course, being one of the newer streaming services in the market, definitely wants to opt in the direction of, of new original content rather than picking up an already established series, albeit one that is very critically well-received and one that we would like to continue talking about. Um, but that leaves us at an impasse. It really does. And um, I was really kind of assuming Amazon was going to pick it up. Mm -hmm. In my head, that just made sense. And, of course, they're going to want to spend millions of dollars on the show that I love um, because it's really good and that's all that should matter. Mm -hmm. It's not like they have a business <laughs> You know, it, it's one of those things where you basically get so frustrated with NBC, but I have to just keep reminding myself that, yes, they're they're not, they didn't pick up a thing that I love that is the best thing on their network. Not even close. Um, but they stuck with the show for three seasons when any other network that I can think of, any major network at least, would have cut it part of the way through the first season. Maybe given it a full first season out of a... You know, an attempt to maintain a relationship with Brian Fuller, mm -hmm. but certainly not brought it back for a third season. So I, I, I have to just keep reminding myself to quell my geek rage long enough to appreciate <laughs> what we are getting while I simultaneously uh, transition through the various stages of the group. Now, I'm, I'm starting to move past bargaining, mm -hmm. um, which is why I think I have to keep fighting that urge to get annoyed at NBC. That maybe that's the anger stage. What's the progression of the stages? It's uh, denial. Denial, okay. I, I was yeah. big on denial. Yeah, I definitely went through denial. Uh, bargaining. Very big bargaining phase mm -hmm. for myself. Um, and then there's anger. I think okay. is what comes next. Like, why? And then depression? Uh, yeah. And then I think... And then acceptance. Acceptance. But I think, aren't there supposed to be six? I'm missing it's one. Five. It's yeah. five? Okay. Yeah. So, so those are the, the stages. So um, I think I'm some. I think I'm in in, in depression right now. <laughs> is where I'm at. Like like just like there's still some elements of denial, disbelief, but also unless a hail mary shows up, and I'm, I would love for there to be an announcement. If they know anything, they'll say something. Brian Fuller is Brian Fuller, but um, at the panel tomorrow, that is. But I think I think I'm sort of in the trying to make myself come to terms with it. That it very yeah. likely may not come back. I'm not there yet. You know where are you at? I'm nowhere near. You're bargaining. That. I I'm still between denial and bargaining. I think. Okay. I'm still convinced that FX has a shot at picking this up, just because, um, well, for reasons that don't make any sense, really. So mm -hmm. I'm not even going to go into them. But yeah, I I still think that this belongs on a cable network. And it retains all of its aesthetic, and that's fine, and that everything's going to be perfectly fine, and that we'll continue talking about this for <laughs> several years. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Um, in the meantime, we're going to talk about season three, episode six, Dulce. Is it Dulce? Oh, Dulce or Dulce? I've heard Dulce, but I mean, for my music background, of course, Dulce is what we use. Uh, this is Italian, sweet. so it's got to be shit, right? I mean, I don't know. I think you're right. Well, that's what we say in music, and that's spelled the same way, and it's from Italian, but maybe yeah. we're saying it wrong. I don't know. Uh, season 2 episode is Dolce. Dolce. 
That one, written by... One that means sweet. <laughs> Don Mancini, Brian Fuller, and Steve Lightfoot, and directed, of course, as if we couldn't just know immediately based on what we get in this episode by Vincenzo Natale. Um, we'll talk, I'm sure, about that in can just a moment. Can we say friend moment. of the podcast? I feel like we can say friend we of the podcast. We friend of the podcast. That's fine. Feel a little special about ourselves. Yeah. Feel a little fancy for a moment. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully that friendship extends into other friendships, and then we just build a network of friends. <laughs> I'm not saying that listeners should let Brian Fuller know that we've talked to Vincenzo Natale and that Brian Fuller should talk to us, but if you feel so inclined to do so, Kate and I won't, uh, won't argue with that. <laughs> uh, before we get into that, some housekeeping things over the top, if you'd like to get in contact with us, uh, feel free to do so in many ways. Kate's checking her Twitter, so if we do get some questions, we will answer them, but of course you can find us on Twitter. Um, also uh, on email at thisisourdesign666 at gmail.com, or you can leave a post over at soundonsite.org when the post goes up. Uh, is the iTunes stuff? Will we figure that stuff out yet? Yes, we are back up in iTunes. Victory is ours. <laughs> and may we continue to be victorious in the future. A hmm. um, couple other things. It's uh, It was just your birthday this past week. It was my birthday this past week. So a belated Thank happy you. birthday. Uh, actually... As was the case with our rewatch of the first season, um, both of our birthdays take place during our recording time. So, so for this week, as a birthday present to listeners, ah. <laughs> we're going to do another giveaway. And that's not to say that for next week, which I think will be after my birthday. I don't even know when my birthday is. What's today? <laughs> should, today is the 10th. Oh, okay. As we uh, no, it'll be a couple weeks, so that's fine. Uh, but I was going to say, if, if your birthday is next week, I have failed. <laughs> I was like, already? <laughs> I wasn't prepared. <laughs> It'll be right after we, we put out the next week's podcast. But anyway, yeah, we're, we're going to do a, a giveaway season uh, two of Hannibal on DVD. If you would like to be entered into that giveaway, uh, just let us know in one of, well, I guess the easiest ways would be either email or Twitter or on the site. Um, so in any of those ways, just say I'd like to be entered into the season two DVD giveaway, and we will take you into oh, consideration. Come on. Let's make it a little bit more interesting. You want to add yeah. some flavor to it? Yeah, we have to add some flavor. Okay. Uh, so what should we? They should have to answer a question, and mm. that will you know that's not going to affect the, who gets who gets the the prize, no, but that, that will be enter a them. Yeah. yeah, but you know, let's like come on a little bit more. They can type a sentence beyond. Please give me free stuff. Okay, here, here's your thing then, off of the cuff. Uh, of course, we are. This is our design. We would like you to design a happy birthday card for Kate. Well, and and yourself as well. We'll do that one later. We'll do that one later. Yeah. Okay. That you. that's a bit. That's a bit. That seems like that's work. I was just gonna ask them like <laughs> what their favorite episode was. We'll or... Give them options. We're all about options. We're all about options. Okay. Um, how about uh? A favorite, a favorite Hannibal GIF or or Instagram or um, mm-hmm. Tumblr yeah. oh, or man. a meme. I like after like, you showed me that last one. Yeah, that lecturings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so share share with us your favorite fan art, fanfic, mm-hmm. fan anything because I need I need more delightful fan uh, uh, fandom fanableness in my life. How about that? That could be that's a fabulous yeah, birthday gift. Yeah. Two roads that you could take. One of them is significantly more work. Yeah, and one is sending us a link. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, either one will be appreciated, I'm sure. Uh, okay, I think that's 
all of housekeeping. Up at the top. Do we need to talk about anything else? Before well, we, we we do very quickly because uh, Kevin has. I, I'm going to say your name wrong, Kevin, and I apologize. Clawitter. I'm going to go with that. Clawitter. Clawitter. I'm going to Clawitter. Has uh, tweeted us asking, assuming the show finds a home for season four. Let's let's keep going there. Mm-hmm, That's, mm-hmm. I love that positivity, Kevin. Um, what which new directors would you most like to see direct an episode? Oh Jesus! Because like returning directors is easy. Yeah. For 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 the two of us, I would say, but new directors. I'm gonna go with a boring answer. Oh. Yeah. Um. At least for listeners to the the Televerse and our discussions of um of, of Breaking Bad, and also anyone who's listened to me rant on Twitter about the whole. Wonder Woman fiasco, but I would love to see Michelle McLaren. I think she should direct everything ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I would love to see her. She, she, um, I think of her, and I think of um, very style, stylish direction. Also, I, I think of um, action, mm-hmm. and then at times I think of stillness too. Um, so I don't know that I think of like compare like an episode like this where we have Natalie who does such fluid um, direction, and it, there's a lot of. Uh, he loves you know either he loves it or they just keep giving episodes, him episodes that have a lot of this uh, water imagery and very artsy approach, which I love. Um, I don't think of her in that way, but I think she could do a really fabulous episode or you know series of them of mm-hmm. Hannibal. But again, like I said, that's like saying you know they should they should get Spielberg. <laughs> I was gonna go in that direction. Actually. Yeah, you I mean like yeah, there's the obvious like the influences upon Hannibal like. Cronenberg and David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, David Lynch. Yeah. Insane. Uh, I think, I mean, <sighs> watching this season of True Detective has brought out many feelings, most mm-hmm. of them very, very negative. So I kind of want Fukunaga to do an episode of Hannibal because I think that he would have done really well. Mm-hmm. And that's like been a huge part of why True Detective has sucked so much this season. Um, well, you went, if you're going to go thinking about other TV, but like, um, what about uh, who was the director of Under the Skin? Yeah. Oh, man. Because I know uh, you're such a fan. I still have still seen it. Laser, yeah. He would be fantastic. And then touching on that, I think, well, then it's not a big name Hollywood director, but Darren Aronofsky, who did you know, Black Swan, The Wrestler, The Fountain, Requiem for a Dream. A lot of the stuff that Natalie does with, like, close-up on eyes or whenever anybody's doing drugs um, reminds me of Requiem for a Dream. So I feel like Aronofsky would be a good fit as well. But that's... Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty big wish list. Well, yeah, and the the trouble is, and I'm sure there we'll have Kevin and some of our other listeners, um, and you know, Brian Fuller and mm-hmm. the the creative team. They're so much more keyed into the horror world. I don't. I'm sorry, listeners. I have seen. I'm a scaredy cat. I've seen almost <laughs> no horror, um, and and so I don't have that knowledge base to draw upon. Mm-hmm. And so that really that's limiting who I can think of. Um, who comes to mind for me because I'm sure there are many like for example the writer of this episode is the Chucky guy mm-hmm. and that's like there's this whole horror um, uh, legacy to, to, to that that's really fabulous and such a cool thing to draw upon and I'm sure there are many fantastic if, if we had Ricky Ricky D mm-hmm. our, our beneficent overlord over at Sound on Sight here he would just be listing off all these really amazing directors um, that I've unfortunately unaware of um so that's sort of because i tend towards not scary things yeah because it's scary <laughs> um, that's where i end up but um but no that that's sort of what, what comes to mind and um they've, they've done i think their directors have done 
almost universally. Fantastic. I just feel like because Lynch acted on Louis that he should direct on Hannibal. Direct on Hannibal? Right, that's not asking too much, right? Yeah, I, I still, one of my fondest TV memories it was watching that the for his first episode that he acted on Louis. Mm-hmm. I was in, uh, I was in Montreal. No, I was in Toronto for <laughs> I was in Canada. Uh, and I was actually hanging out with my co-host of the Televerse, Simon, and we were watching it together because, you know, obviously, like, this is, recording live is so, so fabulous and mm-hmm. so nice to do. We rarely get to do it. Um, and we're, like, we were both there in town. We were going to TIFF. You know, there was, like, a sound effect meetup, and there was an absolute. So like, well, I mean, come on, absolute. let's watch the movie, and then we'll go to the thing, to the meetup. And just hearing that voice come out over the, that, that distinctive, <laughs> iconic voice come out, we're, like, because you hear it before you see him. So we, we were just, like, is it real? And then it was David Lynch, and it's just one of us memorable. So if having him involved with the show um, would be certainly a remarkable thing. So when there's a season four, Kevin, that is what comes to mind. And I would love to hear from you. Uh, and I, I don't know if I should respond and get his answers so we can give the listeners his answers. But uh, I would love to hear from you what no, your picks we'll, would be. We'll wait. Oh, yeah. Next we'll week. Be delayed. Yeah. yeah. So and listeners, feel free to respond to that once this goes up. All right, so should we get talking about this episode? The more we get questions on Twitter uh, throughout the, the hour, or however long this takes, we'll, we'll answer them as we go, I suppose. But uh, this just aired last night, and you've been incredibly busy with Comic-Con, and uh, I've had some other things too, so um, we're not as organized or in-depth prepared as we usually are, but we're going to roll with it. and We're going to be experiential. Yeah, Absolutely. In keeping with the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Okay, so that, that might be a good place to begin. There, there were two big things that I wanted to talk about, and one of them falls in line with that, which is the sex scene between mm-hmm. Alana and Margot. Uh, shot in kaleidoscopic fashion and is perhaps the most impressive sex sequence on network TV that I could think of. Maybe ditto cable TV, and we could talk about that, but how fantastic was this in terms of Natalia's direction? Visually, it was spectacular, and it, it was so creative and um, what just well executed. Because you're watching it, you don't really know what's going because it comes out of nowhere. I want to say it's the beginning of a commercial break, and we've barely seen Margot all season. We'll be talking about <laughs> talking about her a little bit more when we get to double the details um and and we hadn't seen we've seen that that one scene with alana this week she's been very so we have there was the the scene that you had mentioned of the flirtation between them earlier on but it just sort of comes out of nowhere and the the visual aesthetic of it is gorgeous it lets them get around so much for standards and practices, and Brian Fuller tweeted out that he actually got a, a letter from standards and practices complimenting them and congratulating them on on the scene, which is lovely to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was memorable. It was uh, it was sexy. It was thoughtful. It was it had a thematic parallel to this this notion of like losing yourself in another person mm-hmm. and blurring the lines, which is such a theme in the episode. Um, it was all these wonderful things. It was just it was like the it was just a long enough sequence mm-hmm. to, to that they, there were enough visual things going on that it was interesting before it, in the any it ended uh, Natalia ended it before it stretched out too long mm-hmm. before it got tired and um, 
it was sexual without feeling um, like because you know, ending with you know the bit of the oak face or whatever, mm-hmm. but without feeling uh, overly graphic or exploitative in any way. This is our first information that Alana is bisexual, mm-hmm. which is something that Fuller has confirmed on Twitter, um, and we've only seen her in a relationship, a relationship with another person, and teasing the notion of a relationship with a second, you know, so Will and then actually both males, yeah. both males, but it's only two, so it's not like, mm-hmm. yeah, so anybody who feels like this comes out of nowhere is like, we don't know her we that know. well. Yeah. I mean, it's a problem when you're in season three, but still, um, the, the only issue I have with it mm-hmm. is that there is so little background for it. There's so little build up to it. So I don't understand, or I don't, I don't understand, but I, there's, it feels like they put them together because why not? Mm-hmm. As opposed, and because Margo feels so different than she was, she it's, she's lost all of her agency, it seems, from last season. And maybe she's just taking this new, more docile approach to try to manipulate her brother instead of being the more aggressive approach of last season. But mm-hmm. it feels like who is there for Alana to have be in a relationship now? Why not Margo? Why does she need to be someone's girlfriend? Or a sexual partner, whatever. We don't know the status of their relationship. Maybe they're just having fun. Who knows? But the fact that she's defined by that to some extent mm-hmm. is can she meet somebody new? <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, the Margo question, I think, in terms of like what her motivation is uh, with her relationship with Mason, I think is another question we can get into with these two, and especially like because we've had problems with Alana in the past. Um, that, that image of the two of them sharing the same face but looking in different directions, I thought it wasn't enough justification or background to like make this make perfect sense. Because, right, we only had the one scene between the two where they interacted in, uh, in the stable or whatever, and then mm-hmm. briefly after that in the house. Um, but it seems like they're, they share a face in some way, which might be that they share a goal, um, or at least aspects of a goal. It's not like Alana wants Mason behind bars and that's her ultimate thing, but that coincides with kind of what she wants, which is to bring Hannibal over and Mason's a way of bringing Hannibal back over. Um, so it's like they, they share a similar end goal, but they're coming at it from two directions, which Mm -hmm. is why I thought that that, that final image of their faces split and looking in both east and west or left and right or whatever worked really well. You could also say with that that they're actually... As there's an earthquake or something. Yeah. <laughs> our neighbors here having fun. Yeah. <laughs> so somehow. Uh, you could also say that they're fused, obviously, but they're, they're pointing in different directions. They're moving in different towards different paths. Um, and the... For, for me... Alana, this Alana, being drawn to the Margot of last season makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. This Margot is soft and infantilized. And that's a really good point, and it's a question that I've been thinking about. And at the end of the day, though, like, what can she do to Mason that would solve the problem that she had had before, which was like getting something out of her family name. It's not about that. It's about, I. she's been a non-entity this season. So, like, mm-hmm. as far as, we've only seen her with 
Mason mm-hmm. or like in proximity where she could be. So for maybe this whole like softly, gently curled hair pulled back with barrettes or pigtails the previous time we saw her with the braids. Um, the Anne Green Gable braids. I didn't like her hair in this episode. I did not like her hair. We're going to talk oh, about it. Oh, thank God. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. Um, and that's double in the details. Um, maybe that's an act. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen her. And so this is the only other time we've seen her, uh, the scene in the stables with Lana, and then this time. And if that is, then that would make more sense towards, if, if there's others, we don't have a sense of what's going on underneath. I don't have a sense of her as a character, who she is this season, mm-hmm. and what you know how all the stuff that went down with Mason and Hannibal at the end of the season, where theoretically she's in this role of power as his caregiver, and then that gets completely overturned in the off season, um, how that's affected her. So I don't feel like she is. I don't feel like she has agency. I don't feel like she. We know anything that she's thinking is that she's really a character right now, and that's a problem if you want me to engage in that relationship or that, you know, them, you know, having sex more than it looks really, really pretty. It's super impressive. And they found a way to do a different, but equally memorable sex scene as the <laughs> delightful five way Wendigo orgy. <laughs> what, what? It's like, it's like they like, tra- they saw Sense8 uh-huh. and Sense8 was like, what? Only five. Mm-hmm. And they took it to a new delightful uh, place, trippy kind of place, and and then they traveled back in time to when they were writing and producing this episode, and did this as a way to to you know up the ante again. But that's that's the trouble that I'm having with it because I don't have a sense of of her as a character this season, and she's just been in so little time, and it's, this this feels like a very significant thing. It feels like they're really trying to to do something with the Burgess storyline, which maybe. They should have like made that a bigger part of episode four as they were catching us up with everybody else. That mm-hmm. not just you know Jack, Will, and Alana got their stories, and and uh, Children was kind of hovering around all of them, but also that Margot and Mason mm-hmm. that we we got more of them and what's going on in their heads. Yeah, I like um, the actor who's playing Cordell. I think he's doing a good job. I don't care about Cordell. I care about Margot. Mm-hmm. I would much rather have the time with Margot than the time we've been getting with Mason and, and Cordell. And, um, and it doesn't help that I just don't find Mason an interesting character. It's an interesting performance, certainly, but I don't, I, he is a very straightforward character to me. And I, I think Margot is much more interesting. So to have her sh- shuttered over to the back burner this season and then made prominent through this connection with Alana, um, yeah, I'm talking in circles now. Do you have no, no, any, no. Any uh, now you mentioned Cordell uh, and how we'd rather have more Margot. I'll use that to revert back to, to Hannibal by the numbers, <laughs> which would uh, illuminate the fact that Cordell has more lines in this episode than Margot does. Cordell has 19 lines versus Margot's 13 lines, um, which, yeah, is kind of a problem. Not, not that the Cordell dialogue isn't great, because I think that he's actually... He, very neatly fits into this world of like appreciating the artistic merit of really unusual things, which in this case is the cooking and eating of somebody. And so I really like the interaction between him and Mason. But yeah, if if this thing with Margot is going to be something important, that we should have more of it. Yeah. So I would agree with that definitely. Um, and to just do Animal by the Numbers now, <laughs> uh, really briefly. The the and this is interesting. The top three 
characters, well, who do you think has the most lines in this episode? Adelia. Damn. Damn. Got it. <laughs> yeah, well, because she's the one who talks the most, and she talks in the most scenes. Yeah. Because she talks with Clee, Sophia. Mm-hmm. Yep, she she leads the, the top three at 58, Hannibal at 54, Will at 50. Um, this is the lowest number for the most prominent character in an episode this season. But yeah, uh, in talking about Margot, who's like plan we're beginning to understand more and along his plan we also the other two big female characters in this episode we get more of their plan as well chio and, and bedelia and actually those two characters get to, get to interact as well but uh i guess before we get into the chio aspect of that we see bedelia's long game here which is that she's stowed away these drugs to make it look like she has been influenced by hannibal this entire time and that she's completely she has no complicity in any of this which Mm-hmm. Her drugged up scenes are fantastic, and Julian Anderson does such a good job. <sighs> Julian Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's also good like understanding Bedelia's process at this point because mm-hmm. it was worrisome in the same way as worrisome for Will because we like both of these characters that we don't want them to get too far into Hannibal Lecter, and that just to know that she always had an out is. I mean, it, it makes sense because she's a smart character, and we've seen that before. It also, though, it's like, that almost gave her leeway to kind of explore that relationship with Hannibal more, to where she could kind of do things that she was uncomfortable with just because she knew that she had an out for it. Well, episode uh, Secundo, right? So episode three, where she says, I know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. She's had a, that plan, you know, probably as soon as she got on the flight, you know, as soon as she didn't shoot Hannibal, um, she had a backup plan for if they get caught, what is she going to say? Because um, I will say, when we when we get that ominous shot of syringes and such, with her, I was like, what? Celia, <laughs> what are you doing? And then, then she opens the door. I'm like, no. And then I realize it's all part of her plan. I'm like, should have been worried. Celia, mm-hmm. you're awesome. And watching, Jillian Anderson is just, she's fabulous, but um, very specifically, and this has been the case since she was in her early 20s, killing it as Scully in the, the, from the very first seasons of The X-Files. One of the best the best modes of Jillian Anderson is, uh, pardon the language, um, <laughs> she of the no fucks. Mm-hmm. There, she has no more fucks left to give. Does not give a fuck. Like the eye, She can do an eye, like over the course of The X-Files, she developed from fabulous eye roll to being able to convey an eye roll without moving her eyes. She even, like, uses some of that language in this. It's like, excuse me if this is forward, but who the hell are you? Yeah. yeah. Like, like, it's just, she, this is a fabulous mode of Anderson, and I've, I'm very gl- uh, grateful that Fuller and Company found a way to bring it in, in a new way. Because they've, they've had that element of Adelia quite a while, as she's getting frustrated with Hannibal. It's like, you're going to get caught. <laughs> you're screwing up my life. Why are you doing this? Um, and so to... to, to give her this scene where she is all, you know, all messed up and mm. is enjoying that clearly to some extent, but also, like, I, I also really like watching, for example, in the scene with Jack and Amelia and the Polizia, um, guy from Polizia, I should say, not all of the Polizia, <laughs> um, where, where she's just saying something and, and you see the reaction from Fishburne, he's just like, oh. <laughs> guy's an idiot, but you could at least, I'm not an idiot, come on. Um, she tips off both of them, actually, to where yeah. all this is going down. More explicitly, I think, with the inspector when she says that it's in a place that 
you know, there's nobody's supposed to be, which would signal Subway Auto. Um, I don't remember what exactly she says to Jack, but she tips off Jack as well. We were at his home many times. That was it. Yeah. I, I got it immediately. That was fantastic. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then gives this knowing stare to Jack that they were at Subway Auto's home before, you know, he went to disappearance, and Jack kind of, like, nods. So Bedelia's still, like, helping out in some way. Mm-hmm which might be a way of making up for the fact that she's contributed in ways that uh, she probably wishes that she hasn't. Um, a little more participation <laughs> than she would like. The theme is just everywhere in this episode. Yeah, it really was. Um, and then Chio is the other character who we get finally uh, an understanding of, I think, right? At least something that kind of begins to make sense. Hannibal says that She's very protective, and we see that it's not that she's going after Hannibal to kill him or anything. It's her desire is to cage him, is what she says mm-hmm. to, to Bedelia, which is really interesting. Um, I guess avenue for her at this point, just because how does one cage Hannibal Lecter, or what does she mean by that? She wants. I think she wants to see him in a cell. Okay. I think she's like Chilton, but without the added influence of the ego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but that adds a new context to her years uh, guarding the caged man, mm-hmm. um, the, her desire for that caged man to be Hannibal mm-hmm. and to maybe project that upon her prisoner. But um, no, I mean, you, the way you cage Hannibal Lecter is that you shoot his buddy <laughs> and then you draw and you draw him into a trap. Mm-hmm. Like shooting Hannibal, she doesn't want to shoot Hannibal. She doesn't want him to die and have that have it over. She wants him to sit in a cage. So she believed that, and do we believe that Will was going to kill him in that moment, and that it was preventing that fate? She may, maybe, but I wasn't even, I mean, that makes sense with what we're shown, but I wasn't even connecting it to that. I was mm-hmm. connecting it to if you shoot, if you shoot, if you do nothing, they're going to leave. Mm-hmm. And theoretically, for all she knows, Will will go with, or Will will not, and Will will attack. Um, so theoretically, they'll be gone. She doesn't want that. Shoot Hannibal, you kill Hannibal, or you wound him. She doesn't want that. Shoot Will, and then you put Hannibal in a situation where she's been able to read Will well enough to get a sense that Hannibal feels strongly about Will. And so then that maneuvers Hannibal to have to treat the wound, mm-hmm. slow him down, mm-hmm. um, forces a conflict of some sort, um, let the police find him, you know, that kind of thing. And she was going to, she knew where to go to. Don't know how she knew, but she, <laughs> hey, she's she's a badass. She's got ways that can take She might have been waiting outside and followed Will. Yeah, that could have happened, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, she was, she's able to walk away. Smart, smart woman. Um, but that, that puts it in a situation where then they can't just leave. Mm-hmm. It, it adds a wrinkle and makes it more complicated. And in this case, sets sets. You know, it depends on how much she knows, how, how much of a read she has of Bedelia. I would say of how much she can read the, what Bedelia is going to do and how Bedelia is going to send the cops right to them just in time to have Will keep his head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the other. What What do you think about about Chio, where she is about why she's shooting Will? She does want a certain fate for Hannibal. I agree with that, and that that's probably to do with putting him through the same position 
or in the same position that she's been in. I don't know. It's difficult because I don't know how far into like the captive state she is mm-hmm. and how able she is to, to reverse that and then be the captor. I think that's a great point because by putting her in charge of this prisoner, mm-hmm. Hannibal put her in jail too. Right. And so she can't put, she can't reverse that to put Hannibal in the same position because Hannibal just killed the prisoner. Right. So the closest she can come to, to meeting, you know, you know, eye for an eye justice with this is to have him be the one in, in the jail. Mm-hmm. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. But I mean, at this point, she feels like more of an ally to Hannibal than an enemy. So. Okay. She still feels like an enemy to me. Yeah. Yeah. These things are murky. That's <laughs> <laughs> why I love them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the dialogue that she talks about um, how she and Bedelia are birds. Mm-hmm. This was going to be a devil in the details thing, just because it's like rhymy and mm-hmm. it, it felt like poetry, which the the scripts here already exhibit that anyway. But yeah, she says, "You're like his bird. I'm his bird too." He puts us in cages to see what we'll do. Um, her relating to Bedelia. But it doesn't feel like there's animosity there, like she's really bitter about it or anything. It's just the circumstance, that's just how it is. And so, mm-hmm. I guess like Will, she's looking for answers. Okay. By searching out Hannibal, she's trying to figure out what her feelings about him are. But I guess Will's are more defined. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of this episode's attempt to sort of walk away from the Firefly Man? Just explain it was like... I had to understand you, <laughs> which felt a bit, you know, forgive Will. Yeah. Pay no attention to that person whose death he's orchestrated. Well, we don't get the image of it in this episode, which we did get two episodes ago, right? We got, we got that twice. last week. It was last week? Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was like emphasis on that. And then this week it's absent, so it wasn't even like consciously on my mind, like, mm-hmm. Should we be worried about Will in terms of, you know, is, is he, does there blame for... Yes. Well, no, I mean, definitely blame for the... He orchestrated that situation. The orchestration, but I mean, in terms of, like, uh, do we consider him in the same light that we consider Hannibal? Yeah. Which I guess is a question that we're supposed to be asking. Yeah. Given, like, some things we know that are going to happen, just mm-hmm. based on the structure of the season that has been announced, and what the second half of the season will be centered around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the show very much wants us to be good with Will. Yeah, which is why it's always, that question's been difficult, yeah. which is why I was in, in season two when we were supposed to be thinking about that. I just, I'm always in the denial stage with that. Uh-huh. So. Well, it's what they say, excuse me, it's what they say last week about, about friendship and overlooking the worst exactly. so that you can agree yeah. on the best and I, that certainly, I think, would define a lot of the... the Maybe those, we're too friendly with Will Grant. Exactly. <laughs> the, 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 the viewer's relationship with Will. We want... I mean, look at those puppy dog guys. He's so, he just needs... Uh, he needs a hug. And he needs like he needs a blanket around him as much as he needs to put one on Winston. It's like... He, he's Winston. He's lost on the road. And he needs someone to give him some beef jerky. <laughs> Lure him into a van. <laughs> and hose him down and clean him up a little bit. We're collecting our own stray Will Grants. Yeah, just a bit. All right, so there was Hannibal Lecter sitting down in front of La Primavera, mm-hmm. sketching Will's and Fidelia's faces into the picture. Into the positions of the people he's killed. 
And the then all of a sudden, variations on the Goldberg variations kick in. What's one for your mind? Oh, well, of course, it's the counterpoint to, I mean, this is This is not just gold. I was like, oh, it's Goldberg. It's like, ah, it's mono Goldberg exactly. by Red Bull. Yeah. Um, so this is counterpointing their, it's bringing their relationship full circle from the betrayal of Mizumono to this. It was, I just, it was such a romantic scene. It was just this, in this so, episode. This episode, yeah. I'm sure some people think that Mizumono is romantic as well, mm-hmm. in a much more high drama, yeah. <laughs> angsty, tortured romance sort and of way. Hannibal does hold Will's face. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, yes. Launched so many tumblers, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but uh, but no, it was just the, the the scoring in that context is just so peaceful and gorgeous and um, and very lush in a way that you don't expect it to be when given that it's not like the sweep of strings. It's it's very understated, which really helps. Because the, the dialogue is so spare, because there is so much um, emotion, but so comparatively few words. It's all like they don't need, they wouldn't need to talk. They do, but they don't, they, they wouldn't need to talk in that scene. You can just have them sit there and look at La Primavera and have that music there and it would tell you everything you need to know. But for me, it was taking everything full circle, repairing, like they're at the except, they've gone through all the stages of their breakup, mm-hmm. of their violent, aggressive, painful breakup they've discovered new levels of betrayal and that they didn't realize that they felt they denied their way through saying that they were fine totally fine guys um and then forgave each other which just launched another series of insecurities and Mm -hmm. anger you know like and and now they're finally through all that and this is closure i think that that's for me this is closure and then what we have come later is a new a relationship. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the longest scene uh, in terms of running time in the entire episode by over a minute, which is significant in an episode of television, I think. Though there's only a, one other scene in the episode that cracked three minutes, and that's barely, and this is four minutes, 14 seconds. And you're right, the, the dialogue's sparse. It doesn't have the most lines in the episode, not by a long shot. Um, this was a... It's not just... You know, six episodes of build-up, you know, post-Mizumono, this is the reunion of, of Will and Hannibal and what's going to happen. It's it's really like 29 episodes because the relationship has gone through all of those stages and this is kind of the end of it. This is the resolution. Obviously, there's more Hannibal, the series after this, and there's more Will and Hannibal interacting with one another. But now, as Will says, he finally, like, sees Hannibal for what he is and is able to to take him on that level it was it was beautiful absolutely beautiful I mean obviously the the music was a huge part of that because that brings us back to Mizumono and it's such a striking theme for these two characters at this point that it's it's so emotional but uh I want to like take this like line for line I think because this is how important a scene of this this might be other than the red dinner, I think this might be the most important scene in any episode of Hannibal that we've had so far. Okay. If I saw you every day, forever, Will, 
this time. Which is important in the ways that we've mentioned so far, right? Is that it's come to this point and that Hannibal and Will, I think, recognize like that this is one of those key moments where the relationship takes a huge turn or it ends and a new one builds upon it. And so that's, I guess it's that buildup, you know, that regardless of all of the things that have happened so far, this is the one that Hannibal thinks that he would remember in his memory palace, you know, once he gets locked up, this is one of those things. So that is the first line, I think, because is beautiful because Will just kind of just sits down, first of all, they look at each other, they're kind of smiling, and, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that Hannibal says, which is the dialogue, that line in and of itself is something really romantic. Yeah. Is it not? Yeah, that's that's that it makes me think of Bella and Jack mm-hmm. and her him remembering her walking down the aisle mm-hmm. at her funeral. Like that's mo- that's the moment that thing is frozen in time that people always go back to how happy she was. Now. Mm-hmm. And for them, because this is the two of them truly understanding each other, being at peace with each other, and accepting the other one for what they are, understanding and still sitting down together. Um, not running away from what that means for the two of them, which they've both done. And um, and so it's it doesn't have some of the other elements of their relationship, but and they've gone through all this pain, but there's a knowledge, like know thyself, that there's a knowledge of the between the two, an understanding that Hannibal has never experienced. And I assume we'll probably have neither. Um, and there's power in that. And so the way that they convey that, I think, is really well captured in... A simple, simple line. Strange seeing you here in front of me. Been staring at after images of you. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it's really hard to deal with. Um, the other thing. I want to get to see those pictures too. Yeah, she does. <laughs> the other thing here, which of course, and this might be one of the reasons why Chio had to push Will off of the train is that we're looking at two very wounded men. Yeah. In similar places. And like, and it's, again, it's the, 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 they're mirrored. It's not the same side. It's the mirror image mm-hmm. so that when they sit next to each other, their wounds are on the outside and they're whole healed. Like you take half and half, it's a whole healed, healthy person. And the, the wounded side is the, the outside of them when they're next to each other. The, the, it's not accidental. There's nothing else on television that does this. Not right now. It's crazy because... It's, it's excellent framing. It is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's that certainly on a technical level, but just how they're able to merge that in like thematically and so that we like undergo that kind of healing as well, I think is really remarkable because this, would you say that this scene felt cathartic to you? I think that was a lovely scene. I thought it was very well done. I didn't connect to it the way that you did. Okay. Um, but, but I mean, I think it, I thought it was a beautiful scene, but mm-hmm. it's one of those things, like I have, uh, gentle listeners, I have, way fewer notes for this episode than I have for any of the other episodes this season because mostly my notes are that's really trippy mm-hmm. <laughs> or this is a beautiful scene. This is a trippy episode it's for sure. Because <laughs> like, I, was, I was just trying, I was tweeting about Comic-Con last night as I used to record when the episode was airing, mm-hmm. trying to not see any spoilers or any tweets which is difficult with Fuller and being such a delightful live tweeter um, and I wouldn't change that at all for my inconvenience. I should have muted the hashtag. I didn't. Um, man, you should not get spoiled. But um, I saw just the thing everybody kept saying is like, oh, it's such a, such a trippy episode. It's a trippy episode. I was like, come on, can we be a little bit more creative mm-hmm. with our terminology? And I watched the episode. 
no, we can't. <laughs> it's the right word. Um, but no, so for me, it was, I just was absorbing the scene, just watching it. It didn't make me dive into their relationship and think about what all these things meant. It, I was able to just very much just kind of like let it sit there hmm. and, and and speak for itself. But well, I was also it satisfying then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was cathartic, I would say, for me, because I didn't feel like I underwent a series of um, emotions and ended up in a different place. Um, I wasn't sure what Will was going to do when mm-hmm. he saw him, but this felt very right. So it was like as soon as as soon as the scene started and we got that score mm-hmm. and we got the they were in front of the primavera and he's sketching the two victims and it's Bedelia and it's Will um, and who those characters are in the painting and all of that it kind of comes together it felt it just felt right and so I was, for me it, it wasn't a um, transformation of emotion or mm-hmm. a release of emotion um, it was just uh, a ex- exhalation movie of just watching something that you know all the pieces come together and it's it, and you can just sort of experience the the, the pieces clicking in and just again the, the writers knowing the characters the actors knowing the characters and it just mm-hmm. anything else like I don't know how I could have thought it would be anything else yeah once I saw this it feels very much like the climax of this first arc for me that the rest of this and we have a full episode and we're gonna I'm sure get really fun things with Mason um, in this final episode before move on to red dragony stuff um but this was like the emotional peak and as soon as the music kicked in i felt like this is a very safe scene that nobody's going to get hurt despite the fact that the last time we were hearing this Mm -hmm. people were getting fucking almost murdered yeah (laughs) well abigail (laughs) should have been murdered by all you know stretches of the imagination should have been murdered yeah um, yeah, like you said, it does create that use of that visual, that that sound, but with those visuals, mm-hmm. and the very, it's very peaceful. It's very still. There's nobody else in in the gallery, and they, there's nobody else in Florence, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently, <laughs> Hannibal's walking around injured, wincing everywhere. There's nobody on the streets. Then I know it's like three a.m. or whatever, but still. Yeah, yeah, because you're right. Like you say, it creates a safe space, mm-hmm. and you're, they're they're now in a position where they can. Well, because we had in, in the premiere, why did you lie? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, had Abigail or whatever talking to to Will, and here you can you know that they're not going to, mm-hmm. and so it can, they can just be very open, and that's what's so romantic about it, and that's what's so touching mm-hmm. is that you know, despite whatever is going to come next, and whatever they already know they're going to do, whatever we know they're going to do, what we think you know, they're going to do, this is going to be, it's a cone of silence, a cone of uh, trust and um, and heartfelt, unfiltered emotion. Yeah, it allows them to have that peaceful and romantic moment before Will tries to shank Hannibal and Hannibal tries to Cause open Will's head. Yeah. His brain. Yeah. So there was that. Yeah, there was also another beautifully directed sequence. The way that the blood just rises up into the clouds. Well, yeah, and again, that felt very much like a callback to what we got with Jack, mm-hmm. as as he's experiencing or he's remembering, you know, waking up from his, his time in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but to talk about, I mean, because when we talked with uh, when we talked with Natalie on, on episode after, like for episode three with the podcast, and he said that he was doing this this episode, I thought it was an odd number. Mm-hmm. I was like super excited that he was going to direct another episode, but. I, we have the sense that there's going to be like a seven and then a six. And so to have him do the second to last episode of that arc, it's like, well, cool, it's great he's doing an episode, but why isn't he doing this 
he started the start, why isn't he doing the end? And I think you very much because this is the end mm-hmm. of that arc of that that we see with episodes one, two, like you take episode one, two, and three, and episode six, and that's an arc, mm-hmm. and that's the, that's the journey. And there's stuff, there's you know, there's other stuff going on, but that's the the journey of Hannibal and Will over this season or those four episodes. And so I, I really love that they gave them all to to Natalia and really let there be a, a directorial and thematic tie, like visual themes and stuff, not just the, the dialogue and the, the description. Yeah, and because this one was always going to be uh, less plot-heavy than whatever next week's episode is going to be, just because... It, I mean, it's the same thing with penultimate episodes and full seasons. You know, we expect mm-hmm. episodes 12s and episodes 9s and 21s, and, yeah. yeah, for that to be, like, set up. And mm-hmm. this does do that, you know, especially right. the, the way that it leaves us on the cliffhanger. So that allows it to be more like referring back to the very first episode of the season uh, when Hannibal's talking to, to Dimmons. Uh, he says, um, you can appreciate without dissection. You know, next week's will probably be the dissection where mm-hmm. we go into all that plot heavy stuff. And this one is more of the appreciation of that, I think. Yeah. Um, which is probably why both of us, I think, have fewer notes about the episode. Yeah. Not like a whole lot happens. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, we said it already. It's a very experiential mm-hmm. episode, and that's why some of the scenes that had the more of the plot kind of stuff felt a little clumsier to me. Like some of the stuff that they're giving Jack, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff with the La Polizia, um, was sort of um, distracting almost. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna do that, but I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, like, because I, I think it's, it's sounding like I'm negative on this episode. I'm not. No. At all, but um. I love how this is an episode that we're not dissecting, and I'm sure we're already like way past our time. <laughs> sure, well, we're I'm super really long, well. yeah. uh, but because that's how we roll on this. Uh, you know, I imagine if we had a guest. Oh my goodness! Ugh. But um, but yeah, it, it, yeah, I agree, and um, I like that they give the the, the significance, the weight of the the relationship over this season, and the way that that has fed off of the previous season. But I love that they give it so much time. In this half season, but specifically in this episode. Yeah. All right. Well, that takes us to our uh, recurring segments for the podcast, of course. And again, um, probably a little bit less in depth this time around, and that's perfectly fine. But uh, we begin, of course, with Kate's classical corner. So, Kate, what can you tell us about the scoring and the soundtrack in Dolce? Well, uh, there are three classical pieces, or what I'm going to call classical pieces, featured in this episode. The first is Schubert's Montorno and E flats. Um, um, also called Adagio. The second is the the Reitzel adaption adaptation of the Goldberg Variations aria that was used in Mizumono. And the third is uh, Patrick Cassidy's Ave Maria. Of course, we used he's the composer um, who did the Vita Cormeum, which we had at the end of it's in the film Hannibal, right? Yeah. yeah. That was used at the end of the season one as Hannibal walked down the hallway to see Will. This is his Ave Maria. Now, real talk. Listeners, I'm at Comic Con, and I'm at Comic Con without internet. So doing research. <laughs> well, not without internet, without free without internet. Without free internet, without, which is ridiculous. Which, when you're paying your own way to Comic Con, you without internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I have not been able to do the breadth of research on the Schubert and the Cassidy that I w- would like to do to to make pronouncements about them. So what I'll say is that they're pretty. And that I will have things to say about them, and that you can go to soundonside.org. <laughs> Once my my review is up, I'll have like Kate's classical corner. Probably there's only these few pieces, and I, I've already said so much about the um, 
the, the Goldberg and the, the rights will take on the Goldberg previously that I, I probably will, that will be a smaller section, but I will be talking about this over there. So um, all I'll say with this one is that the, the Schubert's Nocturne is a lovely piece um, and, and it really contributes to, this is Mason trying to be Hannibal and like if, if he was just failing, just failing epically. It's a gorgeous piece. And this is the kind of piece that I think Hannibal would probably appreciate. But that scene, that whole scene is, he's spitting out the food. The food isn't good. Like, Hannibal would take that same pigtail and make it delicious. Mm-hmm. And um, he either wouldn't eat it or he, or he would and he would savor it. He would not spit it out. Um, so that I thought that, that setting that scene to this piece um, was a nice hi- way to highlight the contrast. Usually, um, there haven't been very many string pieces like that, like quartets sort of things. Usually, like as I've said before, usually Hannibal's opts for a solo piano in those situations, or like a concerto with a, a solo instrument with an orchestral backup. Um, he doesn't usually go for string quartets, unless I'm misremembering. But that's that again. I don't have my don't have my internet. <laughs> I don't have my notes. Um, the other thing, uh, the other piece, the Ave Maria, um, that is um, when Jack goes into Soliato's place. Um, he hears the music, and we immediately, it's a great little beta, beta performance from Fishburne, where he is immediately full of dread um, because he knows what that means. He knows the way that Hannibal likes to score his dinners and likes to score his fight scenes. Um, so. Uh, so, so having an Ave Maria, which theoretically is a plea to you know to Mary, um, Holy Holy Mary, Holy Maria, Ave Maria, um, ties in nicely with Jack hoping that Will is is alive still in one piece, um, and and also you could say Hannibal hoping he can pull this all out and and but asking for help and praying. Um, so, so that's sort of what I connected to that. Uh, again, also it's pretty, and there's the Cassidy connection to the other, you know, the 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 you know, the Hannibal and such. But um, as Reitzel doesn't watch, hasn't seen the other properties, I don't know how much of a connection there is there, other mm-hmm. than just for us because it's fun. But um, but yeah, so th- those are the classical pieces. The the scoring notes I have again, I don't have very many of them just because it felt very much of a piece. Mm-hmm. So so it was less it was much less striking than for example last week when I couldn't shut up about it. Um the water sounds we get at the beginning felt really nice. Um there's a lot of percussion. I think a nice contrast in different types of percussion to really bring it all together between like what sounded like a rain stick or what it was this drum that I almost wanted to say was an electric guitar. These like these certain these individual pitches that then were fed off of with these other woodwinds and percussion sounds in the opening scene. Um, when we have Jack and Will talking in the next scene, and Will says, why didn't you kill him? The solo muted trumpet comes in. It's just one pitch, but that's the, that's the muted trumpet that we got in the season premiere when Hannibal was on the hunt. So um, I don't know how, I assume it's intentional. It feels intentional. Um, but that, that, that I connect that muted trumpet to Hannibal hunting or one hunting. So to say, why didn't you kill him? Maybe I needed you to 
uh, to have that hunting instrumentation come in, at least that one note. Mm-hmm. See, this dissection, right? Right. Um, the the use of the sort of static pulses of static adds a lot of uh, intensity to Hannibal and Will as we're watching Chio decide what she's going to do, which was nice. Um, the the scoring for the sex scene I thought was really interesting because they didn't go. Um, an easy thing would have been to go for something more akin to the um, either very lyrical and that kind of thing or um, very floaty and uh, to go um, or to go more like Eastern influence to tie in with the, some of the stuff they've given Mason, especially because how trippy it is. Um, but instead they go with trom- clarinet and um, drums or a drum machine, which I, I connected drum machine because I know that was in the scoring what Russell's been using the season, um, but it could, could have been drums. I don't know. Um, so I thought that was was effective and and worked well and, and it did kept everything balanced so it didn't go over the top which was nice. Um, let's see. Oh, the 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 last thing I have here is um, that I the the Hannibal and Will like the as he's being drugged by Hannibal the music really mimics the sort of the swoop down into the effect of the drug, the swirl down into unconsciousness. And I thought that was really effective. There's some really nice um, matching of the visuals and the experiences of the characters in the scoring this week. Um, and that was one that particularly stood out. So that's, that's where I'm at with the scoring. And again, there'll be more at sound on site. Probably by the time you hear this, it'll be up, but I get home from Comic-Con in the wee hours of Monday. So we'll see. Hopefully it'll be up by the time you guys are hearing this. The water droplets, at certain points, at some point early in the episode, it sounded like ticking, which, again, brought back Mizumono. Yep, there's, there's also like a spinning. We've got like in Mizumono, there's like a winding of a clock, right? Mm-hmm. I felt like, all right, at least it seemed like there was some, some something similar at the beginning of this episode as well. It wasn't like nearly as prominent as it was in that episode throughout, but. No, I remember that as well. Yeah. I don't seem to have that in my notes, but I, I definitely, there, there's a few different places where it wasn't as aggressive mm-hmm. as it has been, which is why I would imagine it's connected to the museum on the ticking, which yeah. wasn't aggressive. Mm-hmm. The way that the phone call with Posse was more aggressive. Um, but no, that's definitely, uh, yeah, and that's a, the, there's some pulsing kind of percussion earlier on, and then it happens again when we get the, the dinner, the Hannibal and Will. Um, dinner before Jack comes in too. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that'll take us to the devil in the details. Uh, if we talk about little things, and I guess I'll kick it off with. I actually, have a lot of these. So I don't. I'm just gonna start looking. Whatever's interesting. I love the comedy in Hannibal, of course. And then there's this moment. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Will after he's drugged Will, and he's like, "Yeah, you know." And I'm paraphrasing. I don't really like regret things normally. And you feel like he's going to say something like really profound, but mm. what he says is, "I'm going to miss Italy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the shit that I've done to all of you and your friends, but uh, I'm going to miss Italy. That's my regret. I thought that that was fantastic. Yeah, that was pretty great. Uh, I have a couple here about framing. Um, when Bedelia is is taking care of uh, Hannibal, cleaning him up and and stitching his up his wound, her wedding ring. That you know, the, for the for her role as Mrs. Fell is very prominent on one half of the frame as the other half we see the needle coming up, and also with Will um, talking to Jack at the the 
place where Hannibal works, whose name I forget, um, when he's standing and you can see him, he's inside the torture device, mm-hmm. so the framing of that. Yeah. Um, that was very much for me a callback to the key art from season two with the straight jacket as well as the cage that we got in season two. So Hannibal is still, or Will is still a captive of Hannibal at this point. And that's mm-hmm. something that I think changes um, at least thematically and in his you know, mind by the end of the episode. I like the, the, the cocktail of drugs that Jack pointed out. Um, that we were reminded that it was the same thing that Miriam Lass was drugged with. Uh, and her name actually doesn't appear in that list when Hannibal and Will are talking, you know, uh, Misha, looking at past Mishio. and the future. Yeah, yeah. That Miriam's not in that list, but she belongs in that list as well. But uh, bringing her back, series memory is always something that really impresses me and, and is something that hooks me in. And Hannibal has a very good series memory. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about that, the, the hand beneath the table with Hannibal felt like a bit of a callback to Buffet de Foie mm-hmm. um, with, with um, Georgia Mansion. Yeah, also known as the most terrifying episode of Hannibal to date. Ever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Shall we? Margot Hare. Margot Hare. Margot Hare. Okay, yeah, I hated it. Yeah, what the hell? I hated it so much because, again, she looked like, she. so the actress, uh, Catherine Isabella has, uh, she's gorgeous. She has a very youthful face, though. And so when you put that hair... She's like a child. She looks like a child. Yeah. And that's very... It doesn't happen accidentally. So they want you to be hearing and, and feeling. Um, and the way that she's... And maybe she, and she's styling her hair. She's the one who chose to curl her hair in reality of the show. So maybe she's using that as a way to manipulate um, her brother. But um, and calling back to happier times and all, all, all of that. Um, and distracting from the more severe approach she took all throughout last season that led to her brother, you know, taking her him her to his delightful red room of surgery. Um, her hair was just constantly straight last season, wasn't it? Yeah, it will be pulled uh, pulled back. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was much more severe. This is so much softer, and this it's very like the way that it's pinned up and everything, so it won't like fall on her face. It's just it's very juvenile, mm-hmm. and um, I wish we got a little sense of something behind her eyes to make that feel like a choice, um, which we did, but I, I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a failure in the writing or in the direction or in the performance, or they just disagree with me, which is possible. Yeah. I know it's crazy, um, but I did not like that. Did you notice, for example, uh, by the way, with Emma Margo, she was wearing a wrap dress? Yeah. Whereas Margot was wearing a killer suit, loved the suit. The wrap dress looked fabulous too, but having Alana dress her in a wrap dress, mm-hmm. um, it's almost like, again, with their heads facing the opposite direction, what I thought of with that was um, they're the same person, but um, Alana's sort of pushing her towards who she Alana was previously mm-hmm. and moving in this more severe direction. Um, but at the same time, Margot is up to her old trick. Yeah. Manipulating Alana the way that she did Will. Yeah. But Alana is aware of it, though, isn't she? I would like to think so. Yeah. I really need more time with the, with the ladies in the next couple. It'd be nice With if these we, ladies. We got yeah. lots of time with the other ladies. It'd be nice if we did get a couple more scenes with them. Um, I think the only other thing that I had mentioned uh, throughout this discussion was, again, another callback, which I appreciate. Um, Will leaning into Bedelia and saying, I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. To recall from the, was it the season one finale? 
No, it was the um, second to last episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, it was in season two. So it was in season yeah, two when, when she takes off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I have John McCallback. I'm curious what you think of Hannibal uh, of him feeding that soup to a totally out of it Will. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you thought that might be a shout out to Hannibal Rising, the sick Hannibal in the. I guess potential books was I haven't read the book, mm-hmm. but I hear this might be a spoiler. So potential books was for Hannibal Rising. The notion of Hannibal being delirious because he's so sick, feverish, and being fed Misha um, in that state, mm-hmm. not being able to not eat. I'm curious if if because I, I, I immediately thought of that. Like I'm trying to think, why is he feeding Will soup? Because it's it would take longer than he's gonna wait. For that to go through a system and affect his flavoring, mm-hmm. which is sort of what Hannibal implies, like it's for me. Right. But I'm curious what you thought of that. Well, there's a, a gap, right? Between them, Ben and Jack. Yeah. I don't know how long of a gap it is, though. Yeah, there's that. I think just because this early half of the season has been a combination of Hannibal Rising and Hannibal, that there's that aspect, the Misha aspect, and then also. Um, I've not read the the novel Hannibal, but I've seen the film Ray Liotta's character. The whole uh, removal of the the head and then mm-hmm. eating your own brain, and so there's a combination of that as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know which one it favors though. Yeah. Probably the Hannibal thing. It doesn't feel like. Actually, I can't even say that because I was worried at first. Like when Hannibal was feeding the soup to Will, like what's what's, what's in, in the soup? soup? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because we curiously don't get a shot of a portion of the back of Will's head for a while. Yeah. Un- until, yeah, it's made clear that it's just soup with time and, and yeah. whatever. Uh, it's nice that he, he blew on it, though. <laughs> before he fed cool it to Will. Yeah. Um, the other thing, we haven't mentioned it. There are a couple of things we haven't mentioned that I do want to make sure we have a shout out to. Um, the smoke Wendigo, with the, that was awesome. Uh, okay, so this is going to the other thing i thought that the sex scene was fantastic mm-hmm. i feel like the direction or at least the the artistry in all of that when will's like kind of having that dream dinner sequence yeah that that was even more artistic yeah i agree i agree because like the 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 sex scene is flashier mm-hmm. but you know even just things details of in that hannibal's wearing the white suit with the black and he's he's got his tie and everybody's been tieless. I don't know if you noticed that throughout this. Like Hannibal's wearing like a like a crew neck or something, like just like regular like high necked like shirt, like t shirt kind of thing. But um, Jack and Will are both top button open, no ties. And then when we go into Will's mind or experience of whatever's going on as he's drugged up, Hannibal's back to Baltimore, Hannibal, and. Um, yeah, and and long tying into the Wendigo and them being two branches of the Wendigo. I just, it, visually, it was fantastic, but it was also just such a wonderful way to convey his his experience and his memories and where he where his subconscious is putting his and Hannibal's relationship at this point. Um, I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. and it's the inky black of terrible yeah. Hannibal terribleness or whatever we call it. Using it in a new way and. Yeah. Maybe in its most effective way thus far. Yeah, the the whole white scape of the whole thing, the yeah. way that it was shot, how the antlers go into that swirl at the end mm-hmm. before we get both of the faces. Yeah, that was superb. Yeah, and the last thing I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about is Bedelia 
and she's gone full circle. She's gone, like, now I shouldn't say full circle. She's gone, she's uh, so far from where she was. Mm-hmm. She, her confidence, and it's been fun watching her just kind of manipulate Hannibal and steer him in certain directions the last couple episodes. Every time he gets towards a more, I'm going to eat you, because she's like, but will, right? I mean, <laughs> and distracts him. Um, I love the confidence of that, um, of that conversation and of her, like that, the kiss where she waits longer to kiss him and pulls away and he's waiting, you know, like she's controlling that scene. She's controlling that conversation. And it's so, such a stark contrast to where she was back when Hannibal was in her shower mm-hmm. and even just where she was in the, in um, the, the season premiere where she was uncertain of everything. Um, it was a, quite a thing to see. Yeah. Yeah. Her progression, I think has been one more interesting parts of this early season. And it certainly justifies why she promoted to her series regular. Um, I guess that now I just worry about her place in the yeah. second half of the season. Well, yeah. And I mean, but then I, I again, like that they don't make it so easy for her. She yeah. thinks she'll just be able to waltz through and pull it to you. I was like, oh, you need somebody. That said, if her absence means that we get Aaron Abrams and Scott Thompson again, yay! I'm okay with I that. I thought of them as we saw the lab techs. <laughs> yeah. Italian lab techs. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, come on. Come on. Okay. Oh, anything else that we haven't mentioned yet? That's I mean, there's, there's plenty, but I, I think I think we hit the main the I big mean, ones, really, right? We could do these episodes ten yeah. hours at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, that's good, and we'll conclude the discussion there. Once again, listeners, uh, feel free to contact us in uh, any way that would please you, but the easiest ways, of course, are via email at thisisourdesign666 at gmail.com or via Twitter. Uh, I'm at Sean Coletti Case at the Televerse Case. Anything that you would like to point listeners to online? Um, just check out soundsite.org. Um, the TV section that we always have. Uh, you guys have interesting content going up there, and my Hannibal review by the time you're hearing this hopefully is up um, a little bit later. No, normally it's up Friday, um, but damn, it, it's a countdown, so it's not, it's not happening. <laughs> um, also, you can check out my uh, podcast covering the rest of TV, The Televerse, uh, hence my Twitter handle, and uh, that goes up every Tuesday at some of the site covering something else. And I love talking about this stuff with you guys, so please do drop me a line. You can find my written reviews of Hannibal weekly at uh, tvovermind.com and once again if you'd like to be entered into the giveaway for the Hannibal Season 2 DVD you can contact us again in the aforementioned ways and include either <laughs> uh, your own design for a happy birthday card slash image for Kate uh, or you can just tell us or link us to rather what your favorite fanable created thing is that works Tumblr, t-shirt design, whatever, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. The Fanables are vocal. They are. I don't know what petition I signed, but there's some crazy number that has reached at this point, mm-hmm. saving Hannibal. Um, but yeah. yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about Season 3, Episode 7, Digestivo. And until then, this has been another episode of This Is Our Design.